I'm Alexander Badgett, and you're listening to The Bankster Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to the fascinating and the ever more consequential world of central banking. Now, these are indeed exciting times here in the central verse. I say that at the beginning of, uh, of every episode, but it really is true. And if you had asked me at the beginning of the podcast, when I started it way a year and a half ago, uh, if I was going to run out of things to talk about, I might have told you, yeah, give me a couple of months and I'll probably run out of things to talk about. But just about every week, there is a new announcement or a rumored announcement about a change in leadership or a change in monetary policy action. And I've actually mostly focused on the Federal Reserve. If I truly had the time to open it up to the worldwide, this could be a just about a daily podcast. But unfortunately, I don't have the time or resources to handle something like that right now. But I do have time today to answer a few questions. Now, for those of you who caught the first episode in the Centralverse Q&A series, you'll remember that we approach each question in three phases. A little bit of background information about why it's interesting this week. Number two, we give a short answer. And finally, we provide a long answer. So now that we're all on the same page, let's dive in to Centralverse Q&A round two. Question number one, what are the requirements for becoming a Fed governor? Okay, so now to the background. Last week, the Wall Street Journal reported that Randall Quarles is claiming Colorado as his home state. Uh, if you'll remember, Randall Quarles is the most recent uh, Fed nominee uh, to the position of governor. He lives in Utah and the private investment fund that he runs is also based in Utah. However, and now I'm going to quote from the article, quote, Quarles lived in Colorado from the age of seven months through second grade. After that, Quarles returned to Colorado for a material portion of every summer to stay with his grandparents. And he also spends many a Christmas in Colorado, his spokesman added, close quote. So why on earth would the prospective future Federal Reserve governor make such gymnastic-like positioning to claim Colorado? Well, because he has to. Okay, which now leads us to answer number one to the question, what are the requirements for becoming a Fed governor? The Federal Reserve Act specifies that no two members of the Board of Governors can come from the same Federal Reserve District and that they should represent different sectors of the economy. So that's it. Those are the only two requirements. Now, for Quarla's sake, Utah is in the 12th district, which already has a governor. Janet Yellen, who actually is the chair of the Federal Reserve right now, well, she claims San Francisco. So the 10th district, on the other hand, of which Colorado is a part, does not currently have a governor. And lucky for Quarla's, that's where he went to first grade. <laughs> okay, so now on to the long answer to question number one of today's podcast. The Federal Reserve Act lists just two prerequisites for the position of governor. Now, I'm going to quote section 10 of the act itself for the long answer. 
In selecting the members of the board, not more than one of whom shall be selected from any one Federal Reserve District, the President shall have due regard to a fair representation of the financial, agricultural, industrial, and commercial interests and geographical divisions of the country. Close quote. So, as a whole, the seven governors need to represent A, different sectors of the economy, and B, different geographical locations of the country. And that specific call-out for the geographical representation is, well, it's very specific. And that's why Quarles has had to do such gymnastics to claim Colorado as the answer to the otherwise simple question, where are you from? Now, I'll send out the link to the Wall Street Journal article in the show notes of this episode, uh, which, by the way, side note, I haven't sent out for the past few episodes. My apologies. Going forward, instead of receiving the show notes a few days later than the published date of the podcast, I will be sending them out the very same morning. So you can expect the podcast and the show notes to be released every other Friday morning. You can sign up to receive these show notes directly in your email inbox by going to my website, www.thebanksterpodcast.com. Anyways, the Wall Street Journal article tells some fun stories about how some current and past governors have claimed their answers to the question, where are you from? The article also hints at the story of the initial amendment that was written into the 1913 Act that added the line about no two governors from the same area. I'll tell those stories on a future podcast. But to end this long answer, I will say just one more thing about the prerequisites of becoming a governor. The Federal Reserve Act specifies that, like many other high-ranking government positions, the U.S. president will nominate the individual and the Senate will confirm him or her. Okay, on to question number two. How will the Fed's balance sheet change? Background. During the financial crisis of 2007 to 2009, the Fed, in an effort to encourage growth back into the economy, the Fed dramatically increased the size of the balance sheet from under $1 trillion to over $4.5 trillion. At the June FOMC meeting of this year, the Fed announced that soon they would begin decreasing the size of that balance sheet. Then, at the September FOMC meeting, held just last week, they announced that the soon would be October. So, how will they do this? I have a short and a long answer for you. And the only other piece of background information you need to know before I share those answers with you is what the balance sheet is actually made of. Uh, the majority of the $4.5 trillion assets are either government bonds or mortgage-backed securities. Both of these assets receive payments every month. They're basically loans. Loans from the government and loans from homeowners. Owning $4.5 trillion worth of these loans means that some of them end every month. Like when you finish paying off your mortgage and no longer have to send the money, the bank money every month. In order to maintain that $4.5 trillion, the Fed has to replace the ones that are paid off. They do this to the tune of billions and billions of dollars every month in new, but replacing the old ones with new ones. Okay, now we're ready for the answers to the question. How will the Fed decrease the balance sheet? 
the Fed will decrease the size of the balance sheet by slowly not replacing all of the loans that are paid off. Every few months, they'll let a bigger portion of the loans go unreplaced. Important to note that they won't actively sell off the loans. They'll just let them expire and not replace them. Now, on to the fun wonky dink details. So here's the long answer. The actual portion and the speed of the decrease in the size of the balance sheet is different for the two types of loans that I mentioned in the background section a minute ago. For the government debt, known as treasury securities, the Fed will allow $6 billion to roll off from the balance sheet from the first for the first three months. Then they'll allow an additional $6 billion for a total of $12 billion to roll off for the following three months. This pattern of $6 billion increase every quarter will continue for one year where it will hit $30 billion. At that point, $30 billion worth of treasury securities will be paid off every month without being replaced. Do you remember what the other type of debt the Fed holds was? Yep, mortgage-backed securities. So, with these, the Fed plans to do a little bit be a little bit more cautious and move at a slower pace. 4 billion dollars will roll off each of the first 3 months. Then 8 billion for the following 3 months, etc., etc., etc. until the 12th month when the steady state will be 20 billion. When will this end, you might be asking yourself? Well, the Fed's official statement in wonderful central verse ease, worthy only of the long answer section, says, quote, the committee also anticipates that the caps will remain in place once they reach their respective maximums so that the Federal Reserve security holdings will continue to decline in a gradual and predictable manner until the committee judges that the Federal Reserve is holding no more securities than necessary to implement monetary policy efficiently and effectively. Close quote. So, in other words, to use a phrase loved by central bankers, we'll see. And that concludes the second round of Centralverse Q&A. If you have questions you'd like answered on the podcast, send them my way. As always, I can be reached for comments, feedback, or questions on Twitter or via my website, www.thebanksterpodcast.com. Today's episode was written, edited, and produced by me, Alexander Badgett. Thanks to all of you for listening, and I'll see you next time on The Bankster Podcast.